Welcome, or welcome back to Pre-Arb Excellence, a Roots-based Chicago Cubs podcast with an eye on player development. COVID has switched my attention to Major League games this year, but players develop at that level as well, until they don't. If you have questions about Cubs player development, this episode, or pretty much anything else, fire away on the contest line at Tim815 on Twitter, or on my Facebook Pre-Arb Excellence group. Thanks for stopping by for today's episode, Are We Necessarily Right? And ask me questions if I was confusing. We spend our time where it's valued and I don't wish to waste yours. This is a bit of a part B to the earlier podcast from today about swinging 3-0. I got halfway into something and realized there was an entire different podcast I needed to at some point get around to, and I decided to go with it today. Um, actually, this is take two. I had a had to edit a, an article that should be running this afternoon on Bleed Cubby Blue. So I took care of that and decided to restart this. Overnight, Fernando Tatis caught a whole lot of grief from old school people for swinging 3-0 with the bases loaded and hitting a grand slam. How dare he? How dare he hit a grand slam when his team's already up six or seven runs? He he should have been decent and taken a a strike and then hit a ground ball to third base or something. You know, it, it, it was just... Completely inappropriate, apparently, for him to hit a home run when he had the bases loaded and the pitcher made a miserable pitch on 3-0. and As um, Nick Francona phrased it, the real issue here is how dare Fernando Tatis participate, not, not participate in point shaving. That's a cool way to put it. Not swinging 3-0 and is point shaving. I kind of dig that way of looking at it. What often happens is coaches think the way they did it when they did things growing up was necessarily correct. I've mentioned here and other places you can have evidence But proof is rare. Evidence is all over the place. But just because you have bit evidence doesn't mean that it's accurate, doesn't mean it's inaccurate. Uh, The way people did things back then, back then, the standard third baseman, back then being 80s, 90s, one of the really good third basemen in the 80s, 70s, 80s, was Greg Nettles. Greg Nettles was a very good defensive third baseman. Uh, Wasn't particularly quick, but he was a decent base runner. Had solid power, very good defensively. One of the World Series, one of the World Series the Yankees were in, he completely shone defensively. What was that, about 81, something like that. Nettles was a third baseman that was 
that was how most third basemen were. He was probably about 5'11", 6 foot, maybe 6'1". He had decent power, but it wasn't amazingly good power. And Nettles is not in the Hall of Fame. The third baseman that was going to end up being the prototype for the guys that we have now, I think I mentioned a couple days ago, Mike Schmidt. Taller, also very good defensively, a little bit quicker, amazing power, first ballot Hall of Famer, mashed the Cubs disrespectfully. He, he, he should, he, the, the Padres' current manager ought to have read Mike Schmidt, the riot act for how poorly he treated the Cubs. He, he completely ruined everybody's morale, and it was horrible what he did to the Cubs. No, he did exactly what he was supposed to do. He hit the ball out of the ballpark when he could. Hit the ball over the red wagon gate. That's where the ball carried to. That's where he'd hit it, and he'd hit it really far. Managers like to be comfortable with doing what was popular back then. Back then, managers or third basemen were normally sized human beings. And I think I wrote it down somewhere, but I'm not seeing it right now. Um, the Chris Woodward, who's the manager who jumped. Fernando Tatis for swinging 3-0. He's like 5'11", 180. Fernando Tatis is like 6'4", 230, something like that. If you have a guy who is small and doesn't look like he'll have a whole lot of power, then quite often, if he's not going to be capable of hitting a lot of home runs, yeah, you might want to give him the red light. You know, no, don't. Don't swing. Let the pitcher walk you if he's going to. And if he does throw a strike, three and one pitch, swing at that. Now that's been the mindset, but if anymore, the mindset is becoming, especially with younger players and younger coaches, as the count gets more in the hitter's favor, Shrink the zone so you're not swinging at anything that's uh, outside of exactly where you want it. Shrink the zone and limit the pitches. So if you're sitting fastball, center cut, 92-93, and they throw you a curve, don't swing. They throw you a slider, don't swing. Sit fastball, 92-93, and if it's that speed, crush it. See what happens. That's generally turning to the mindset, but some people don't like that home runs make people feel bad. That's an old-time mindset that applied when your third baseman was five foot ten and couldn't hit the ball to the warning track. If your third baseman is six foot four, 220, 230 pounds, and can hit it to uh, Pacific Palisades. Let him swing the bat. Okay. That's where it was. That's where it was. That's where it is in regards to the 3-0 count. But this podcast episode is not about the 3-0 count. It's about are we necessarily right? Someone else, I re- I've read a whole bunch of fun tweets today from a whole bunch of different people. And who said what 
uh, I can't entirely remember. I think it was Harry Pavlidis was commenting when someone says the way we did it back then. Who we is is something you want to think about but not necessarily talk about. Quite often when someone says, when we were younger, what we used to do is people who I know, people who I'm comfortable with hanging around with, and not those other people. I'll let you figure out who those other people might be. I don't know that that's what Chris Woodward was thinking, but back then... People did things the way they did. It doesn't make them right. Similarly, what players are doing now, what teams are doing now, isn't necessarily right. It's more what's being done. Now, back in the day, player development was different than it is now, particularly for pitchers. On my first take of this podcast, which I deleted, I had done a bit of homework and I decided I'd do a little bit more for this episode, for this version of it. The player I'm looking at is Alec Destesso. Destesso was a first round pick by the Cubs in the January of 1967 draft. Now, I'm not entirely sure why the 1967 January draft went Cubs, Yankees, Mets, Red Sox in that order, but it did. I think it's probably something to do with records and something that, who knows. But the first four teams to select in the January 1967 draft were the Cubs, the Yankees, the Mets, and the Red Sox. Whether you've heard of Alec DeStasso or not, you may have heard of two of the other players in the top four. So DeStasso was selected by the Cubs, a 6'2", 200-right-handed pitcher from Wilson High School in Los Angeles, California. Second player selected was Michael Flanagan, a left-handed pitcher selected by the Yankees. The third player going to the New York Mets was Ken Singleton, not a bad get. And fourth, the Boston Red Sox took a catcher from the New England area, Carlton Fisk. So those were the top four picks in the draft. Destasso, Flanagan, Singleton, and Fisk. Three of the four played in Major League Baseball. Flanagan did not. Destasso was selected by the Cubs. He had graduated the year before from Wilson High School in LACA. And I'm not entirely sure why he was drafted in... 1967 in January, but not in June of 1966. Um, a bit puzzling. I don't know. Maybe he had 
lined something up to go to college and because of that nobody was interested in him and then the college thing fell through and he was suddenly available to be selected in January. I, I don't know what. I'm just hunchifying on that. That would make some sort of sense. But I don't know why a player wouldn't get drafted in 66 and then he would get drafted first in January of 67. It's confusing. But the Cubs drafted this kid in 1967, shortly after graduating from high school. Now, the way teams do it presently, and I'm not saying the way it's done now is clearly the best of all time and will never be improved upon. I think there's a bit of, um, there should be questioning all the time. Is this way that we're doing it now the best? Is there ways that it could be better? Uh, for some players who, you know, Injuries are such a thing with pitchers that uh, it's looked at differently now than it used to be. So this, currently, if a player is drafted out of high school in his first fractional season, usually a team will try to get him about 15, 20, 25 innings. Uh, high school guys that the Cubs drafted last year, I... I don't even know. David John Hurts, how many innings did he even get? He might only got like about 12 innings because players who are just drafted out of high school, you want to get a look at them. You want to work on them a little bit, but you don't want them to get hurt. Pitchers can get hurt at any time, and you don't want a young player who has a long potential career in front of him to get hurt. So... Teams usually now, if it's a first-year high school guy, they'll get him 10, 15 innings. If it's a first-year college guy, he's probably pitched a bit in high uh, in college. He probably has his um, arm built up a little bit better. Usually then teams might let him go 20 innings, maybe a little bit more, maybe 30, but uh, usually in the 20-25 range because the goal is to develop the pitcher, and keep him healthy. I can't accurately emphasize enough how much I appreciate you guys listening to the podcast. If you wish to expand the horizon of the podcast, pass an episode along to a friend who is a Cubs fan. Who knows? Maybe they might dig it too and they will listen as well. Anchor also allows sponsorships for podcasts, and those are also very helpful. While either would be very much appreciated, your continued listening is very much appreciated as well. So the Cubs draft a Stasso. He doesn't play his uh, initial year out of high school, um, but in 1967 he's drafted, and in a usual first season after high school. What the Cubs have been doing, Dwayne Underwood, they did it that way. Paul Blackburn, they did it that way. Carson Sands, they did it that way. Justin Steele, Dylan Cease. The goal would be, in the player's second season, get him to short season ball in Eugene or Boise or wherever 
and get him about 40 or 45 innings. That is currently considered more than enough. You know, just get get him 40, 45, 50 innings and have him get him into some struggles, get him some success. The players that he would be playing against in the Northwest League are usually players who have just come out of college. So they're playing against players who are a lot, quite a bit more experienced than the pitcher is most of the time. And getting 40, 45 innings the first year is perfectly acceptable. Then the second full season, after the fractional season, the plan would be to get him to the Midwest League and get him 100 or so innings there, 100, 110, 115. Then the next year, move them along another level and get them another 125, 130 innings. Add a little bit each time. That's that's the way that it's usually done now. That's kind of in conjunction with having bullpens where everyone is used. The entire bullpen is used in a rotational sort of a setup. So, for instance, if the team has an eight-man bullpen, they might have one guy who's a designated closer. They might, or they might not. And the plan would be, okay, these three guys are going to be the guys that go today. Then the next day, there are three more guys that are chosen out. It'll probably be these three guys that go. And uh, the next day, be another two or three guys. And it would be, you pitch one day, you sit two days, then you pitch again. And it's a rotational thing. Everybody gets basically about the same amount of innings in general. There might be some guys who are more um, 15, 20 pitch guys, and then there might be some players who are more in the 30, 35, 40 pitch range guys. But usually the idea is, oh, we're going to get you an inning or two, usually two, and see how it goes, and then sit you back down, send you back out in two days, and pitch you two more innings. That's generally how bullpens work in minor league baseball because the idea is you want to see the pitcher used numerous times and see how he responds to stuff. So the starter would usually go, the starter out of high school would usually go about 15 innings his first year. The next year, about 50. Then the next year, about 100 then the next year about 125 if he's a starter. As long as he remains a starter, as long as he remains healthy, that's generally the... Now, does that make that the right way to do it? No, it doesn't. That's the way it's currently done. It generally seems to make sense. A lot of teams generally tend to go that way. And pitching is considered difficult. And pitchers with live arms are considered valuable. Okay, now let's go back to Alec DeStasso. Cubs drafted him in 1967, and I have an entire two sides of a sheet of paper. Um, oh, Chris Woodward, in his career, 33 plate appearances with a 3-0 count, 32 walks, and one double. And he is hollering at 
Fernando Tatis Jr. for hitting a home run. How dare he? Okay, so Alec Stasso, in 1967, he made three stops in the Cubs pipeline in his first season. For the Midwest League Quincy Club, I'm thinking this might have been his first stop of the year. For Quincy, he pitched 25 innings and had a 6.84 earned run average. After 25 innings with Quincy, he moved up to the Cal League, where he pitched for Lodi in the in high elevation, and his he pitched 52 innings for Lodi and had an ERA of 5.02. I said, for Lodi, he pitched 52 innings. As of now, that would be considered a first full year for a high school player, a complete total full load, 52 innings. That was one of his three stops. So he started Quincy, I think, then went to Lodi. Then once short season ball started, they booted him over to short season ball. And there, with Caldwell, he pitched 47 more innings with a 3.64 ERA. Now, that Caldwell stop is kind of about what you would expect nowadays. But back in the day, players, t- teams had players forever. There was no free agency. There was no arbitration. There was no gaming the system. There was no holding a guy back. Teams pushed pitchers really hard, obviously, as you can tell with the Stasso. In his first full season as a professional, the year before he'd been in high school, this year he throws 47, 52, 25, 100, what, 124 innings? 124 innings, that's what he's getting nowadays in his third full season, not his first full season. Okay, well, that's the way they did it. The next year... They sent him back to Quincy in the Midwest League. And he pitched 169 innings there, 3.30 ERA. Quite good. Now that he his second time through at the Midwest League, a year older, a year more experienced, he was much more prepared for it. Then, toward the end of the season, presumably, they booted him up to AAA Tacoma, back when Tacoma was the Cubs' AAA affiliate. He pitched 13 innings there, 2.08 ERA. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? So, after that, what would you do with Alec Dostasso? Where he did quite well in the Midwest League, and in a short stint, he did reasonably well triple-a what would you do with him the next year if free agency doesn't exist arbitration doesn't exist um none of that stuff exists what the cubs did was well they did two things that seem incomprehensible you're dealing with a kid who is 
Roberts in his third year out of high school. And his first year, he largely struggled against much tougher competition. His second year, he did far better. He had pitched two games above the A-ball level. Two, two, totally two, 13 innings. The Cubs decided, for whatever reason, Alec DeStasso broke camp with the parent club. Now, that's fine. It's fine to bring a guy along quickly. It's fine to put a young player on the Major League roster. However, if you're going to do that, you should probably use him. Wherever you have a player in his third full season of professional baseball, let him pitch. If he's ready for Major League Baseball, cool. Let him pitch there. If he's not going to be ready to pitch at the Major League level, don't send him there. Keep him off the 40-man roster. Leave him in double-A. Leave him in triple-A. That would have seemed quite prudent to me. Let him get 25, 30 starts in double-A and triple-A. And if he's still kicking butt in double-A and triple-A, move him up to the major leagues. That would seem logical, wouldn't it? Well, what the Cubs did was they... Alec Stasso broke camp with the Cubs April 20th. I think they opened on the 6th or the 7th. Maybe it was a little bit later than that. But on April 20th, he made his Major League debut. Two innings pitched, one walk, one strikeout, no runs. That'll work. Two days later, he played against the Pirates in a game where Bill Hands got kind of lit up by Pittsburgh. Hands had a very good season that year. April 22nd against Pittsburgh was not his best outing. Hands was removed in the second inning. Alec DeStesso followed him. And coming in in a tight situation in the second inning, Richie Hebner banged a two-run single. And Pittsburgh was on their way to a victory. In the third inning, DeStasso pitched fairly well. In the fourth inning, Clemente doubled, Stargell singled, Robertson singled, and shortly thereafter, Alec DeStasso was sent back to the minor leagues, never to return. He was sent to Double A, where he pitched at San Antonio, ERA of 4.21, 21 starts. The 21 starts seems a bit odd, seems like it should be higher than that, and since it, knowing what appears to be obvious, um, he probably got hurt that year at some point. Um, not quite entirely sure where or why or how, but uh, in 1970, his AAA earned run average was 16.71. His double-A earned run average was 14.14. They sent him back to Quincy. He pitched well in the 
Midwest League. But after 1970, his professional baseball career was finished. He was done. Rushing players seems a rather foolish idea. If a player has indicated that he is ready for the next level, sure, move him up. But if you're going to bring him up, use him. And with the Cubs in 1969, it seemed like, well, Leo DeRocher was an interesting cat. And DeRocher didn't want to use Destasso. And when he showed that he wasn't as wasn't good enough to routinely retire hitters like Clemente, Hebner, Bob Robertson, and Willie Stargell. He was sent back to the minor leagues. And it seems like... It seems to make more sense the way it is now. It seems to. Just because they did it that way back then doesn't make it a good way to do things. Just because we're doing it this way now doesn't necessarily make it a good thing either. What works is what helps players get better. What works is what helps your team win. If you have a certain player on your team who is really bad at hitting with a 3-0 and count, I looked it up. Chris Bryant's one for seven. It's only seven at-bats. That's about as small of a sample size as you can get. But uh, it seems like some players get too anxious in a 3-1, in a 3-0 count. And if a player seems too anxious and doesn't seem to perform particularly well swinging 3-0, then probably you shouldn't have him swinging 3-0. However... If he can hit the ball into the second deck 3-0, that seems a perfectly good thing, not because it humiliates the opponents, not because of anything else, not because of any unwritten rules, but you should try to have your players do well. And if you have a player who can hit home runs 3-0, or if you're a manager who went one-for-one with a double swinging 3-0 in your major league career, I don't see where the problem is. I really don't. Um, somebody was commenting how what we really need more in professional sports is more teams having players do uncontested layups at home in blowout basketball games to make sure that the other team doesn't feel bad. Basketball doesn't mind blowing people out. Football, there's a bit of a question on that. Hockey, you really, you can slow the puck down, but you, teams blow people out all the time in hockey. And if you're, in hockey, if you have a huge enough lead, you might want to use your primary primary line less, use your fourth line more. If you're far enough out ahead, then you can, develop your players. But in baseball, you can't... Teams can come back. There was that minor league game a couple years ago, Midwest League. A team was up by, what was it, 12 runs going into the seventh inning. The other team came back and won next innings. It was 
it was absurd, but both teams ought to run through the tape. And if the hitter is a competent hitter, and he's ahead in the count 3-0, and he is sitting on a 92-mile-an-hour straight fastball, and he gets a 92-mile-an-hour straight fastball, see how far it goes. Get as far as you can. The um, Not only is telling a good hitter who's capable of hitting 3-0 to not swing 3-0, not only is it bad baseball, but it, but defending it has some really scary loaded stuff behind it. And when you start trying to defend scary loaded stuff, it's probably a bad thing. I hope that within the next five or ten years, the concept of these unwritten rules tends to go away a bit. Fortunately, Maury Brown said that Younger people are starting to watch baseball. Maybe that's because baseball is on and nothing else is. I don't know what's going on. But um, hopefully, hopefully the game is drawing fans, is being supported, and hopefully within the next few years, if a player, if Brennan Davis is up with the Cubs in three years, and there's a 3-0 and count, and he's sitting 91 inner half, and somebody throws him 91 inner half, and he clubs it, and it goes out into the street. Nobody will say, well, why did you swing on the red light? Why, we, we gave you a take sign. That was horrible of you to hit a home run. Some people can do it. Some people can't. Fernando Tatis... He's a big, hulking dude. Let him swing. He's good at it. Thanks for stopping by Pre-Arb Excellence. I'll try to post another podcast as circumstances warrant. I'll attempt to make that one worth your time as well. Be safe. Go Cubs, go. And be nice to people.